0: Halloween time, one of my favorite times of the year, Melanie! To celebrate the season, we are going to share some of the spookiest, scariest, creepiest stories that come from our own Rocky Mountain states. You won't know what's around the corner this month. Spirits? Aliens? Hauntings? Any of these can be found in our Rocky Mountains. Yes, in fact, the Rocky Mountains hold many mysteries. Millions of people enjoy the natural beauty. But some come across the hidden dangers. This is Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. I'm Becky here with my mysterious friend, Melanie. Do you think I'm mysterious? Yes, I do. The stories we share are remembered by some, but forgotten by many. So let's dive in to our Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. And I promise I'm not going to talk like this the whole time. (laughs) I know, I feel like we have to talk in like a creepy... I'm like imagining like some spooky music behind (laughs) us. It's funny, me and Becky have talked about this. I do well with like creepy, spooky stuff. So we're going to hope Becky didn't go too creepy, but I think she might have. This is pretty good. Pretty good. We'll see if I sleep at night this month. <laughs> we hope you guys are all doing well. Thank you so much for being with us today and happy Halloween month. Yes. Thanks for joining us here for this special Halloween time episode. Throughout the month of October, we'll be sharing spooky stories of the unknown in the Rocky Mountains. Before we get into the spooky business, we want to thank everyone so much for helping us grow Rocky Mountain Red-Handed every week. Please keep sharing with your friends and family and rate and review. It really helps us out. Yeah, just a reminder, be sure that you are subscribed and following us on social medias. You can check out our link tree for all of those. We have quite a few, so just click that link tree link and I'll take you to all of them. So make sure you are connected. Before we get started, we would like to offer you a heads up. Today's story contains details that might be difficult for some to hear. Though we always put great care and respect into each of our cases, the true stories do often explore physical violence, sexual violence, familial violence, suicide ideation, and other content that may be upsetting or triggering to some. Please take a moment to decide what's best for you. If you or someone you know needs help with emotional and or crisis counseling, and resources, please dial 988 in the United States. Ask for help. You are not alone. So without further delay, let's go into our frightening episode today. This case is from the Grand Canyon state of Arizona. The episode is entitled Absolutely Beautiful, which sounds harmless enough, right? But what if those words were used to describe something frightening? Yeah, in this case, the words absolutely beautiful were used to illustrate an alien aircraft, Mal. In fact, a man has reported that he was kidnapped and taken abroad an alien aircraft in Northern Arizona in 1975, all while his friends witnessed his abduction. This is the story of Travis Walton. J. Allen Hynek, a UFO researcher, created a classification system for witnesses of an unidentified flying object. He, like, wanted to create a level of legitimacy to ufology which is what the science of studying ufos i'm assuming yes Mm -hmm. so he demanded scientific accuracy and a sort of like shorthand when describing interactions with ufos the project was named close encounter classification system and it grew to include five levels of close encounters so ce1 close encounter one consists of seeing a ufo within 500 feet with considerable detail CE-2 is a UFO event with a physical effect. For example, interference with electrical devices, disturbance of animals, and even a physiological effect like heat or cool felt to a human or impressions on the ground. So CE-3, our close encounter of the third kind, recognize that name, Mel? That sound familiar. It's a famous movie named after Heineck's system from 1977. If you don't know the movie, you know the music. So Google close encounter of the third kind and you'll recognize the music. A CE-3 is an event when a human sees an occupant not of this world. This can include like humanoids, robots, or any other animated entity. CE-4 is when an occupant of the spacecraft takes a human observer aboard and or the observer experiences a quote transformation of their sense of reality. CE-5 is when a human from this world initiates contact with an extraterrestrial being And the contact is reciprocated. So that's when, like, the human reaches out and the alien responds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Using this scale, we have a story to share with you that would fall into this CE4 category, which is the second highest classification on Hynek's Close Encounter system. So hold on to your tinfoil hat. We've got a case that will send you out of this world. Okay, I love all the puns (laughs) I included in these cases. So we're just gonna enjoy it. Yes, right. we are. So I, I feel like, first off, this is like what we need to clearly state. Mel, do you believe in UFOs? You always put me on the spot I with know. these kind of questions. I know, oh, Becky. I or I guess I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna like slim that down a little bit. Okay? okay. Do you believe that there has been aliens that have come to Earth and interacted with humans? Because that really changes the game. Like, you can believe that there's, like, far off aliens. Yes. But have aliens visited the Earth? Yes or no? She's scene right now, you guys. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't... uh What do you think? I want to know your answer first. Yes. You always... I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I have such a hard time giving, like, a yes or no answer because i can kind of see both sides i could see it happening but i could also see it not being a thing i don't strongly believe can i be in the middle i don't know i think that's kind of a cop out there mel okay let's read this story well that's gonna change i'll tell you after this story okay so let's tell this story (laughs) and then at the end i'll give you an answer okay okay right now i'm in the middle yes yes yeah so mel With this story, are you ready to have an open mind? I'm ready. I'm ready for you to prove to me that aliens exist. I'm I'm, in the middle. I know you're someone of a skeptic when it comes to supernatural, but, you know, skeptics are good, right? Yeah. I don't know. In my thinking, we have 100 billion stars in the Milky Way. There is no way that we're the only life form. But that's just me. No, I definitely think there are aliens. Uh, But your question comes to, have have they come to Earth? I am in the middle on that. Okay. Okay, okay. North America has a reported estimate of 12,000 UFO sightings per year. Like, of course, not all of these are sightings of aliens, but still, like, that's a pretty large number. So let's see what we think about this report. Travis Walton and his family made their home in Snowflake, Arizona. Have you been there? I have been to Snowflake, Snowflake. actually. It's, Snowflake's a cool little town. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty. It's a beautiful, small, tight-knit community in northern Arizona. The Walton family was close and supportive of one another. They were, you know, known to be like rational people, not dramatic, emotional or attention seekers. You know, they're just like a typical good family. Travis was quiet. He liked to read and he liked to play sports. He was a private person that did fall into a little trouble during his high school years. He got wrapped up in the wrong crowd and he did experiment some with drugs. He was arrested for forgery over some stolen payroll checks, and he ended up dropping out of school. Tra- Travis self-corrected in his late teens as sometimes we do have to do in life, and he stopped all drug use and crime. He re-entered high school and graduated and then he enrolled in college at Northern Arizona University and completed a year of school before returning to Snowflake to be closer to his family. Travis found work that he really enjoyed with an old friend, Mike Rogers. Mike managed a U.S. Forest Service crew for the Timber Stand Improvement Project. These men worked deep in the forest. They were like thinning dead trees and overgrowth to help limit fire danger and to help keep the forest like beautiful and healthy. Travis loved working far from the world and enjoyed the beauty and quiet of his surroundings You know, each day, He's just working out in the beautiful timbers. He also liked the men he worked side by side with. Mike Rogers, 28, was one of his oldest friends. The other guys were great to work with as well, and they actually got quite close. Dwayne Smith, who was 19 years old, Jeff Pierce was just 17, John Goulet, 21, Alan Davis, 21, and Ken Pearson. These seven men, including Travis Walton, who was just 22 years old at the time, worked together each day, and they had really formed a close relationship as co-workers. On Wednesday, November 5th, 1975, their entire world, including... The rest of their lives really would change. They would forever be bonded together. At about 6.15 p.m., the crew began to load up and leave the Turkey Springs area of the Apache sitgreaves National Forest. It was a dense forest area and the home to the largest ponderosa pine forest in the world. The men were about 12 miles from Heber, Arizona, and they began to drive back towards town. It had really been a long day for them. The crew had worked later than normal. They were a little behind schedule on their contracted work, so they had worked until dark that evening. So at about 6.30 p.m., the men began to see a glimmer through the trees on the side of the road. Some witnesses later said that they mistaken the light as the moon showing big and bright through the trees. Which, you know, you can kind of picture that, right? When the when the moon's kind of being, the light's being kind of cut in and out because of the trees. Well, it wasn't the moon, Mal. Suddenly the light began to clear. It was a bright yellowish light. The men witnessed a large disc shape hovering in the sky. It was sleek and with a dome on the center of the top of the craft. One witness described it as absolutely beautiful. They slowed the truck down to get the best look they possibly could. So one witness had spent years on a naval aircraft carrier and was very familiar with all aircraft. He recognized right away that this was not like anything he had ever seen before. It didn't move. It didn't feel. It didn't it didn't seem like a normal aircraft. The UFO, which stands for Unidentified Flying Object, right, which is exactly what this is at this point. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Was hovering just below the treetop level, which was about 15 to 20 feet off of the ground and about 30 yards to the right of the truck. Travis sat in the right hand seat in the cab of the truck. And then suddenly, without any warning, he just opened the door of the moving truck and leaped out. Now yeah, he ran towards the UFO. He wanted to see it all. See everything he could see of this amazing creation before him. He slowed his running down as he got closer in fear. All of a sudden, he realized, oh, wow, what am I doing here, right? He could feel the energy radiating off of the craft. A high-pitched noise overtook the men. And then they began to hear alternating beeps. It became so intense that they reported they could feel the noise more than hear it. Travis crouched like down to the earth in fear, but he still stared at the sight before him. He later reported a close-up view of the UFO, quote, It just had a powerful look and feel to it that was just amazing, end quote. He estimated the UFO to be about 15 feet in diameter and about 8 feet in height. Which, isn't that big? That's really not that big, not right? Huge. When I was originally picturing it, I was picturing it bigger. Yeah, that's not that big. No, uh-uh, it's not. So unexpectedly, Travis felt a physical blow. He reported to feel a, quote, tingling electric shock feeling, end quote. His friend saw Travis hit with a blinding light of bluish green color. He was knocked down to the earth and hit so hard that his friend reported seeing his body actually bounce, at first impact to the forest floor. His body raised about a foot off of the ground and his arms stretched out to his sides. His head hung, tilted back. He looked completely relaxed like there was no tension in his body at all. His friends thought that he had died, right? He was completely still, unmoving as he levitated into the air. In panic, his friends who had stayed in the truck took off down the road at a high speed and they were just in fear. So catch your breath for a sec. (laughs) We're going to take our first sponsor break. Rocky Mountain Red-Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my Balance of Nature. I take it every morning and makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my Balance of Nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it three and three. I take my three capsules of veggies, three capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. So that's Balance of Nature, promo code, red-handed. And we are back. Thank you so much to our sponsors. So where we left off was Travis was last seen suspended off of the ground. He was about a foot levitating off of the ground. And his friends just drove away in the truck because they were scared. Yeah, so... Mike, the driver of the truck, slammed on the brakes about a half a mile down the road and said, like, we have to go back for Travis. I can see why he panicked, right? Yeah, he couldn't just leave him there. They debated for a few minutes and returned slowly back to where they had seen the UFO. It was about an estimated 15 minutes later, they said. So all they had was one flashlight and the headlights of the truck in the blackness. I can see why the guys were scared to death. Yes, this would be very Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they peed their pants, honestly. They were afraid that they would find Travis dead, just like laid out on the floor's floor. Yet they saw nothing. Just black skies speckled with bright stars. No sign of the mysterious UFO. No signs of Travis. He was just gone. The men came off of the mountain and immediately called the sheriff's department. The call came in to Deputy Sheriff Chuck Ellison. After hearing the story, he contacted the sheriff, Marlon Gillespie. At about 7.30 p.m., just an hour after the men had left their work site, Deputy Sheriff Ellison met the truck of the co-workers. He reported they were all a wreck of nerves. Some were crying, some were stomping around in circles, some were just spaced out. It's so interesting that after you have this experience, you would think that a lot of people aren't going to believe it, right? But they did immediately call the police Mm -hmm. and told them their story, which I feel like some people would just keep it to themselves. Like, I don't want someone to think I'm crazy. That's a really a good point is that they like, look, we saw this. This isn't like some kooky story. Like this actually just happened. And at this point, they're worried about their friend. They're not reporting a UFO. They're worried about their. We're worried about their friend. Yeah. Uh, Deputy Sheriff Ellison reported that like something had obviously scared them half to death. He immediately checked for any signs of alcohol or drug use and didn't see any. They were just hardworking men on their way home after work. Yet they had all seen something that they couldn't like seem to really describe. Yeah. Three of the men agreed to return to the site with Deputy Sheriff Ellison. Some of the men were like, "I'm not going back there," which again, I understand, right? They searched for Travis until midnight and returned back to town to make arrangements for an official search at daylight. The next morning, about 50 searchers, some professionals and others were friends and family, searched for Travis in the radius of about a mile and a half from Travis's alleged abduction site. Travis's mother was certain that he had been abducted by aliens. She was just hysterical. His brother, Dwayne, chose to sleep out in the woods, hoping to find him and return him home safely. The searchers covered the mountains, looking for any sign of Travis, and they just found nothing. There had to be more to the story. He just vanished. I've got to say, I think that's so sweet that his brother slept out in the woods. To my sisters out there, Courtney, Jamie, Pam, even Justin, if you're ever abducted by aliens, I will sleep out in the in the cold. You're a good bite. sibling. <laughs> Look at you. Uh, to my siblings, uh, we'll see. Maybe some of you. Just kidding. Law enforcement looked at Travis's disappearance at any possible angle they could at the time. They speculated that the crew of the U.S. force workers had possibly killed Travis. Maybe a dispute broke out between them and some some of them had like killed him on purpose or by accident or something like that. The men were split up and questioned. They were looking at every angle they possibly could. Right. Meanwhile, the search continued. Arizona law enforcement brought in helicopters and canines, and there was still nothing. More volunteers combed through the forest, and they came across absolutely nothing. Everyone was looking for Travis Walton. There were no footprints or any signs of life of him anywhere. Travis had to be somewhere on Earth, though, didn't he? On Earth? Ooh, love these, like, dumb little puns I'm adding in. Arizona State Police brought in the best of the best in the state. Arizona Public Safety Worker Cy Gelson, who specialized in polygraph testing. He was an ex-cop, and he had applied to work in the new field of polygraph testing in 1971. He was trained in New York City and had become a well-respected tester. Do we all know how me and Becky feel about polygraphs, though? Do you, like, I mean, I guess we haven't really talked about well, it. We've right. talked about it, right? Like, if you don't take it, you look guilty, but would you take one? No. No. <laughs> So I don't, I don't put a lot of stock into polygraphs. Apparently I'm just a skeptical person. You are. I think I am. Polygraphs actually play a pretty big part in this story, but same thing, like, not even admissible in court. Right, and some, I mean, it set a new field of polygraph yeah, testing. This, so is, like, it was, this is 1975. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cy was instructed to give Travis Walton's witnesses a polygraph test on November 10th of 1975. Travis had been missing since November 5th. So this is five days later. The polygraph report states, quote, the purpose of these examinations was to determine whether or not any of the above listed people deliberately trying to conceal a criminal act, i.e. aggravated assault and or homicide, in which Travis Walton was the victim, end quote. So I was able to track down the exact wording of the questions. And I think it's important to know that that So each man was given the same four questions, and we've got the exact wording. So all of the men, the seven men in the crew, all, of course, but Travis, because he's missing at this point, took the test and answered the same to each question. So, Mel, I'll read the questions. You tell us their answers since they answered the same, okay? Perfect. Question one, did you cause Travis Walton any physical injury last Wednesday afternoon? To which they answered, no. Do you know if Travis Walton was physically injured by some other member of your work crew last Wednesday? No. Question number three. Do you know if Travis Walton's buried or hidden somewhere in that Turkey Springs area? No. Question number four. Did you tell the truth about actually seeing a UFO last Wednesday with Travis Walton disappeared? Yes. So... The seven-man crew, Travis, is missing, so six of the men took this test. Five of them passed with flying colors. One man's results were inconclusive due to his nervousness, which I feel like that's how I would be, so I'm never taking a test. Totally. Um, So because of his nervousness, but not because of deception, right? He retook the test and then passed as well. So Edward Gelp, the president of the American Polygraph Association, 1978, reviewed the five polygraph tests of the men, who passed originally on November 10th? He reported that five people telling the same story and all passing the polygraph test with the same results is pretty much impossible. He compared it to a million to one odds. Now we've seen the on TV where the lover kind of bounces up and down and stuff. The men had the exact same results. So the men who witnessed Travis's abduction were constantly under surveillance and harassed by different government agencies. They reportedly were followed like 24-7 by men dressed in black suits. But still, we had no they had no idea where Travis was. Yeah, the men dressed in black suits sound familiar. Men in, black. men in black. Tuesday morning, November 11th, 1975, Travis contacted loved ones from a phone booth in Heber, Arizona. He had come, I'm going to read you that whole thing. I just don't like how I did that. So finally, on Tuesday morning, November 11th, 1975, Travis contacted loved ones from a phone booth in Heber, Arizona. He had come to consciousness on the asphalt of a rural road. He just came to be like laying there on the road. Travis can recall seeing the bottom of an aircraft before it shot into the sky and disappeared. Travis's brother-in-law, Grant Neth, who was 26, received a phone call in the middle of the night. He first, like, thought it was a prank phone call. It didn't sound anything like Travis. Grant could hardly make out the words, and uh, Travis said, quote, I need help. I'm hurting. Grant called up Duane, 26 Travis's brother, who was staying at his mother's house, Mary Kellett's home, there in Snowflake. He told him about the mysterious phone call, and so Grant drove over, picked up Dwayne, and they headed to Heber in hopes of finding Travis they arrived in heber and headed straight for the phone booth there they did find travis laying on the floor of that booth duane reached out to help travis yet travis began to panic and scoot away from his brother against the wall at the booth he was filled with fear and was somewhat delusional which i get it right if this is real <laughs> finally after some time in coaxing Travis trusted his brother again enough to let him help him. He cuddled into his brother like he was a baby. He was completely exhausted both physically and mentally. Travis had a big bushy beard and had lost about 12 pounds and complained of intense pain in his head and chest. Wow, that is a lot of weight to lose in what was it, six days? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Grant and Dwayne drove Travis to Dwayne and Carol's, which is Travis's sister's home. Travis said that he was starving and he tried to eat a little cottage cheese but immediately became nauseated upon eating it. His family gently told Travis that their mother had been so scared the past few days and Travis really seemed confused at this point. Yeah, Travis was under the impression that he had only been gone a few hours. He thought it was still November 5th. In fact, it had been five days and six hours. Dwayne told Travis to feel his face. He put his hands up to his face and he felt that full beard that had grown. The media had been like hounding the Walton family since the newspapers reported on Travis's disappearance and his alleged abduction. They were lucky to have been able to sneak away in the middle of the night to get Travis from the phone booth. They knew that Travis really was in a fragile condition and could not take reporters or questions from law enforcement at this time. Yeah, I can only imagine the media circus with something like this, right? So they reported to the authorities that they were taking Travis to a Tucson hospital and they could talk to him there. But this was a mislead. Dwayne took Travis to a doctor in Phoenix who said he could help. Lester Stewart was his name. It was soon discovered, though, that Stewart wasn't a doctor at all. So Dwayne and Travis returned to Snowflake. Travis's condition at this point was like catatonic. We need to remember that there was no... Uh, diagnosis of PTSD at this time, right? So war veterans returned with what they called shell shock, but it was treated by just not talking about it. Pushed it down. It never happened, right? That's how they thought the best way to deal with it at this point was. Yeah. People who had PTSD at this time, you know, either self-medicated with alcohol or drugs, suffered in silence, or unfortunately died by suicide. Though he was slowly opening up to those around him, Travis did agree to meet with Sheriff Marlon Gillespie. He was so emotionally fragile at this point. He said he was willing to take any tests, though, that they wanted to give him. Polygraph, truth serum, hypnosis, voice stress test, whatever they needed. Travis stood by his story, even in his lowest emotional points. Yet on November 14th, Travis failed to show up to a scheduled polygraph test at the Department of Public Safety Offices in Phoenix. Sheriff Marlon Gillespie told the Tucson Daily Citizen that they would not contact Travis any further to demand a test to be taken, but they would continue to like investigate the possibility of this being a hoax. The sheriff then released a statement declaring that he did not believe Travis Walton's story. That's a bold statement that like, no, we're not going to We're not going to try for the test because we think it's crap, right? Is what he's pretty much saying, yeah. So polygrapher Cy Gillison, the same man who polygraphed Travis's friends and coworkers, believed that Dwayne, his brother, Travis's brother, influenced him to not take the test out of concern for his mental and physical health. He was just still so fragile. The Arizona Republic stated that, quote, The sheriff said the Department of Public Safety polygrapher operator, quote, is convinced that they did see something they described as a UFO. So it sounds to me that Sai believes the men's story at this point. Right. I mean, he is the one that's giving the polygraphs. So I feel like if you're giving polygraphs that you put stock in them, you yes. think that they're actually real. You're and 100%. So he, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it does he, sound like he believes that. Yeah. He believes it's like a science. Right. hmm Coral Lorenzen from the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization reached out and offered help to Travis and his family. Travis agreed and was taken to where he was seen by two medical doctors. He received a full physical, he received blood tests, brain and body scans, and the only thing that they could see that was curious to them was this small puncture wound by his left elbow. It was like similar to what you would maybe have after a blood draw. Yeah, the APRO issued a statement on November 14th regarding Travis Walton. Quote, the case of the UFO encounter experience of Travis Walton is being investigated by Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. Medical tests and examinations have been conducted by physicians associated with APRO. It is APRO's opinion that Travis has been through a severe shock and has been shaken by this episode. He has been advised by doctors to rest before submitting to any further examinations pursuant to the investigation. The wide range of scientific tests and the investigation planned by this organization at the request of Travis Walton are likely to take five to six weeks, end quote. So when Dr. James Harder was asked about Travis taking the polygraph test that he missed with the Arizona Department of State Safety, he said, quote, a polygraph test conducted by the sheriff at this time is not an urgent matter in the view of the fact that five witnesses have already submitted to polygraph tests with positive results, end quote. So this is the five that immediately passed the polygraph mm-hmm. test. Yeah. Friends. Which he has a point there. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Harder, who made the above statement, was very well-respected in the academic community. He was a psychiatrist and a very skilled hypnotherapist. He counseled with Travis, and he agreed to take part in a regeneration, is what they call it. This regeneration is a type of hypnotherapy, and Travis's session was observed by three psychiatrists, a few reporters, researchers, and Dwayne, Travis's brother. We are going to take a moment for our last sponsor break. Give your brain the natural nutrients, blood flow, and neurotransmitter support it needs to make the fight with depression an unfair fight. Get stronger daily with Whole Supplement. Build momentum each day with the Whole Depression Relief Stack, the three targeted daily formulas that will help you feel, enjoy, and progress again. So, how do you take the Whole Stack? 1. Wake Up Formula Take wake up in the morning with a glass of water to kick off your day with motivation and energy. Number two is the daytime formula. Take daytime around lunch to ensure you have the focus, mood, and productivity to power through the day. That sounds like something we all need. Number three, the sleep it off formula. Take sleep it off about an hour before you plan to go to sleep for amazing rest and brain support that will consistently set you up for better days. I've experienced depression since I was a teen. I try to do my best to take care of my mental and emotional health and manage my anxiety and depression, but even with medication, I can find myself struggling some days. I started taking whole supplement just a couple weeks ago and I already feel like I'm giving my body the armor it needs to win the fight each and every day. The ingredients in whole supplements have been used for hundreds of years. They just haven't been put together this way to help people struggling with depression there are no proprietary blends and no hidden ingredients in Whole Supplement. So here's Adam Steer, founder and CVO of Whole Supplement. I started Whole Supplement with the mission to help others who, like myself, have struggled with finding relief from depression and anxiety. Our number one goal is to empower everyone we can to make meaningful progress every single day. So now is the time to take care of your emotional and mental health. During the pre-launch offer, you can receive the entire whole depression relief stack at 15% off. Go to whole supplement.com and use code Rocky Mountain. Again, go to whole supplement.com and use coupon code Rocky Mountain. Simplify your fight with the whole stack from Whole Supplement. I cannot wait to see what Melanie thinks of the story. I can't wait. I put it off. I'm we'll see. <laughs> Okay, she's I like, want to make you wait till she's end. like blushing. So we are back. Big thank you to our sponsors. So, so Travis is about to participate in a regeneration hypnotherapy session to recover memories from his alleged abduction. So this is Travis's story of his time after his abduction. I, I think what we've kind of gathered, I, I couldn't find an exact quote, is that it seems that these memories were somewhat buried. I'm not sure exactly how much, but with the regeneration hypnotherapy session, he was able to bring all of it up to the surface. I totally believe in hypnotherapy. I would never be hypnotized. I would never be hypnotized, it scares I me. totally believe in it. I do too. That's why, I w- like, it scares me to death. See, I'm not that skeptical. See, I'm afraid that I will just make a complete fool of myself and I will say the stupidest crap. That's what I'm afraid of. Like, these, like... Fun on cruise ships. They'll do hypnothic... Nope. Mm-mm. Not, Not me. Mm-mm. So, sorry. <laughs> that was off topic. Sorry, guys. We're back. Okay, so let's hear Travis's story. Travis gained consciousness and saw a light above his head. He mistakenly thought he was in a hospital. Instead, he was on an alien spacecraft. He didn't try to move due to pain throughout his body, He noticed a type of apparatus, almost like an arm, that was holding him in place as he lay. Travis couldn't focus his eyes. He looked beyond himself and like saw two beings leaning over him. They were about five feet tall with underdeveloped features. They had no hair and they wore loose fitting clothing in a light tan color. Travis started to panic and had trouble breathing. Yeah, he started to fight to get up and knocked the apparatus off of him. He pushed one of the beans, which did look like humans. They were somewhat undeveloped, but they definitely were like humanoid figures. So they he pushed one of the beans in the arm and backed into some shelving against a wall. So he did have physical contact with one of the Beans. The Beans tried to approach him again with their palms pointing towards Travis in like an almost cautious, we aren't going to hurt you type of way. Like, yeah, like you put your hands up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Travis grabbed like a glass like tube off of the shelf that he was leaning against and he tried to break it and it didn't break. And so he began to yell and scream. The Beans didn't look alarmed. They calmly lowered their arms and just walked away until they exited the room. Okay, so the Beans went to the right. Travis ran to the left, the opposite from where the Beans went, right? And he found himself in a very narrow, dimly lit corridor. The corridor led to a room that he could see out of the aircraft. He saw a black sky full of stars. Yeah, the room had a chair with controls and knobs on the armrest. I'm sure you're picturing, like, the Starship Enterprise. Exactly what I'm picturing, actually. <laughs> so, but yeah, it, it, from Travis's description, it was just a room with just, like, one chair. Um, the arms had, like, knobs and, you know, different controls on the armrests. And by this time, Travis realized that he was no longer in the aircraft he saw hovering above Turkey Springs Forest. He knew he was must have been in a larger aircraft, a larger vessel of some sort. Travis turned around and saw one being walk into the room. He wasn't like the other beings that he saw before. This seemed to be a man in blue clothing and wearing a transparent helmet. Travis ran over and started to talk to him, yelling and pleading for help. The man who he said was very much a man. He was like a human. The man wouldn't answer, but just smiled at Travis. He gently took Travis by the arm and led him through a doorway that seemed to have an airlock on it. He found himself in a large room that was almost like a hangar. The room held two UFO chrome-like spacecrafts. So the being that was walking with him held his arm and led him further to another room. So this room held three beings. There was one female and two males that were like like his escort, but not wearing a helmet, right? So they looked the same, but were not wearing So a more like human, yeah. they look like humans. Yeah. yeah. I mean, especially if he's able to be like, okay, that's a dude and that's a girl. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The escort left Travis with these three beings and walked out of the room. Travis tried to communicate again with them, but they did not want to talk to him. They put a device over his face that was almost like an oxygen mask. Travis found himself laying down and he looked toward the ceiling of a solid light. Um, Then he lost consciousness again. Next thing he knew, Travis was laying in the roadway. He could see the light of a service station and a phone booth. Then, we know the story, he headed to the booth to call his family. Travis was scared of coming forward with this information. Like, he wasn't in the physical or mental condition to handle the media or the government agencies, like, questioning him about what had happened. He was just a forest worker who, like, somehow fell into this mess. Yeah. A lot of, like, what-ifs ran through his mind. Like, what if the government takes me away and runs a bunch of tests on him? Like, what if he dies from this exposure? What if no one believes him? Like, I can only imagine everything that was running through his head. Like, what if the aliens come back for him, right? Stanton Friedman, a world-renowned nuclear physicist, came and met with Travis in Snowflake, Arizona, he had a scientific approach to UFOs and focused on like facts, data, and evidence. He spent time with Travis, his friends, and his family. He reported that he believed Travis's case was very unique. It had multiple witnesses, multiple like polygraphs that all were they all passed them, mm-hmm. and empirical evidence. Yet the debunkers of the world rejected all the evidence and data he gathered. You said debunkers rather strong. Like, <laughs> you, think, uh, you think that's well, me? Well, like, d- d- I'll tell you, during this... Re- no, I don't think you're a debunker. There's, like, a difference. Like, skeptics, yeah. you're a skeptic. Okay. Like, mm, I need some evidence here. Yeah. Debunkers are those that just completely refuse to to even hear the research. Even, like, they don't want anything to do with it. They just... Turn it down completely. No, they don't want to hear it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, the debunkers of the world reject all the evidence and data he gathered. The ufology community describes debunkers in four points. Number one, debunkers say, don't bother me with the facts. My mind is already made up. I am willing to listen to the facts. Yes, you are. You are. Number two, what the public doesn't know, I'm not going to tell them. Number three, if you can't attack the data, attack the people. They attack the, the people who come forward with stories. They attack the character, their career, everything about them, they attack. Number four, research by proclamation. Investigation is too much trouble. Instead of looking at possibilities, they proclaim false. Yeah. Okay, that's not me. No, that's totally not you. Believers live by one phrase. Unproven is not disproven. I like that. I do too. One of the most outspoken and well-known debunkers was Philip Klass. He smeared Travis and his logging coworkers' names and, like, reputations in the mud. Class made up lies about them. He misquoted them. He tried to interview them, but, like, only over the phone. He refused to submit questions in writing and receive the answers in writing as Travis and his friends preferred. Yeah, Class even went as far as to offer the youngest witness $10,000 to publicly state the whole story was a lie. So at the time, Travis's friend was working under a different name and in a different state. He just felt like he had to make those ties, cut those ties, because at the time, everyone knew their names and yeah. he kind of just didn't want to deal with it. So he moved to the different state, went by a different name. Wait, man. Yeah. class found him and offered him the money, which would have been $38,000 in cash today. Okay. And he took him to an upscale dinner and tried to persuade him to take the bribe. Travis's friend, he refused. In a 2014 field study, scientists found the trees in the area where Travis was allegedly abducted were producing wood fiber at 36 times the rate that they had in the previous 85 years. The growth tapered off a little each year since 1975. That's interesting. Uh, That's super interesting. To me, that's like, all right, you want some data? Here you go. Here you go. I'm like trying to talk you into it. No, I'm not. No. The growth rings around the site have a large gap on the side of the tree closest to the epicenter of Travis's abduction. So, like does that make sense? It's, like it's almost the trees are almost being pulled that way. They're growing almost like an oblong oval shape. And again, at 36 times the normal rate. Some scientists who have studied the phenomena believe it shows exposure to a type of radiation. Similar growth has been seen at the wood samples surrounding the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. Except one big difference. Chernobyl exposed trees grow an accelerated rate of three times the normal amount. Three. And Chernobyl was like a huge disaster. Destroyed our planet there, right? So it's growing three times the normal rate there. At yeah, Travis's abduction site, trees grow an accelerated rate of 36% times the normal growth rate do you know if people were able to go to the place that this happened yeah oh absolutely so they weren't exposed to real yes yes. Mm -hmm. yeah you can you can go and visit the forest right there after the dust settled travis tried to get back to thinning for the u.s forest service like but he just couldn't do it he just couldn't spend time in the forest yeah that's where that ptsd comes comes up don't you think like i'm sure the forest used to be a really peaceful place for him And it's not anymore. So Travis and his family did receive some teasing, but nothing they couldn't endure. They were a well-respected family before the incident. So folks in Snowflake, you know, seemed to let them be for the most part. Reportedly, about half of the residents of Snowflake believe Travis's story. Travis considers himself a private person and he just doesn't crave the spotlight. He has agreed to a few public appearances, but has not gained a fortune by any means. He said he made much more money as a logging thinner for the U.S. Forest Service before his abduction. Yeah, Travis wrote a book called The Walton Experience, but, you know, it hardly made him rich. Travis lives humbly in Snowflake to this day. Travis, nor any of the witnesses, have ever changed their story. To this day, they have not altered a single word. Which is really big deal. Yeah, I mean, that's powerful. That's really powerful. This many years later, his friends still have his back and still say, Yeah, I saw this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. According to Pew Research in 2021, 65% of Americans say their best guess is that intelligent life exists on other planets. 34% do not believe it, and 2% refuse to answer. Who's refusing to answer that question? No. You may have heard of Fire in the Sky, which is a movie released in the early 90s. It is roughly based on Travis's story. Travis doesn't believe the aliens had any ill intent towards him. Yeah, if you see the movie, it it, like it starts out like Travis's story, but then they definitely went off on a different, uh, you know. In the movie, I'm trying to remember because it's been like ages since I saw it, but like there were some tests on Travis and stuff, and like some like traumatic experiences. And to this day, Travis is like that didn't happen. It did not happen, and he never felt like he was harmed in any way interesting mm-hmm. so they i mean they had to make the movie more hollywood maybe. exactly yeah yeah so i mean yeah again he, to this day travis believes that the, that the aliens were trying to help him in a way yeah well at this point becky Mel, this is a big <laughs> deal i'm really i'm looking forward to this it's hard to refute the fact that all of these witnesses have stuck to their story for so long Do you all their stories match up? Is this that is that the strongest form of proof in your mind is that his witnesses still believe? Yes, I think so. Mm -hmm. Not even the polygraph necessarily, because I don't put a lot into Mm polygraphs. Although the fact that every single one of them passed is kind of a big deal with the same result with the same. That's interesting. That's kind of a big deal. But. I think the fact that they've all stuck to their story, they've been offered bribes over the years, and not one of them has been like, no, this actually did. It's probably my strongest. But we're recording this in 2023, and this happened in 1975. That's a long time for those men Mm -hmm. to, I mean, if they are lying, they're good. They're really good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, to turn down the bribes, and I, I feel like one of them could have become famous or made a ton of money if they had been like, actually, this is a lie. Like, I feel like they could have turned it into some kind of financial gain. Mm -hmm. But what would be the point of them lying? None of them got anything out of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What do you think about the tree data? I think that's really interesting. Um, That's crazy that it's growing at 36 times the rate. And that kind of blows my mind. And they I, said that, that like, amazing. the 36% is like right where Travis was abducted. And yeah. then it, as it grows further out in circumference, it lessens. Interesting. Which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's just like hard evidence that something happened there. Mm-hmm. Right. So we would love to hear from y'all out there. Yes. Like, do you believe in the story? Do you not? So, Mel, I want to, I want, I'm sorry, I want a yes or no. Let's let's even let's notice that I didn't give you a yes or no. (laughs) Let's even take it more narrow. Do you believe the story that we just told? Do you believe that that actually happened? Yes or no? Yes, you do. I think so. Awesome. (laughs) I tried to avoid giving you a yes or no. Her face was very begrudgingly listen like listeners. She was just like, that's that's interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. Well, we want to hear what you guys think. So go to our social medias. You can find all of them on our link tree. That will be in the show notes. So click there. Find us on social media. Tell us what you think. Yeah, I really want to know. Our listeners out there, and let us know. How you felt at the beginning of the episode and did the information change your mind? Absolutely. absolutely. Are you going to try and debunk us? I know debunkers out there. So, okay. Here's the thing, though. I was going to do a Rocky Mountain Redemption we're going to skip it. I don't feel like we need it because um, we just told a story about travelers from outer space visiting Snowflake, Arizona. That is awesome. I love it. No redemption needed, right? All right. So thank you so much for listening today. Uh, don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. And make sure you follow us on social media. Stay connected with us so we will be back next Wednesday with another Halloween time story to tell you straight from the Rocky Mountains. So until then, keep your hands clean.